Today's guest is Brad Smith, a managing partner at Vertas. Smith joins HME News in 10 to talk about why deal activity was slower than he anticipated in Q1, his firm closed three deals, but will heat up, particularly in Q2 and Q4. He also talks about the role of the $2 trillion worth of liquidity in the financial market right now and valuations that are creeping down but still robust. I'm Liz Bollier. And I'm Teresa Flaherty. And this is HME News in 10 from HME News. Stay with us. This episode of HME News in 10 is sponsored by the HME Data Bank. The HME Data Bank has the data you need to make knowledgeable decisions and move your business in the right direction. Determine your market share and track your competitors with the most comprehensive database of Medicare statistics available. For more information and to subscribe, visit www.hmedatabank.com. Hi, Brad. Welcome to HME News in 10. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Let's get started with a look in the rearview mirror. When you look at deal activity in Q1, was it what you expected, and why or why not? I would say it was not what I expected. It was, uh, unfortunately, a little bit slower than what we had anticipated, and that can be a multitude of things. A, to begin with, since I'm just an internal optimist, so that uh, that always helps. Um, <laughs> two things. But but really, you know, we, we came off such a crazy year last year that there were so many deals that it was just people finally catching a breath. And, and, and really, I think what ultimately, there was a little bit of that that contributed, but, but really, there was a lot of other external factors that were going on that really came to surface in, the Q, in Q1, in particular, inflation, labor issues, supply chain issues, hell, even the war in Ukraine. Those all mm-hmm. contributed to other factors that HME dealers were dealing with besides, you know, having transactions. They, they, they had to worry about what's going on in front of them immediately. And so that that has taken a little bit of a toll on, on activity and, and slowed it down, at least to Q1 it was. Brad, I feel like this is the, uh, the age-old question we uh, ask every quarter, but who seems to have the most interest in HME to be doing most of the buying? Is it other providers? It is, is it investors? And uh, why is that? It's really both. The big national so strategics, including the, in particular the big national providers, they're still very active, and they're still doing a good amount of transactions. In fact, you know, most of them uh, you know, we talk with always have several that are in the pipeline in the works. So those guys are active. Even the regional players are, are, are active as well. I would say not quite as active, but they're, they're active. And then financial buyers still like HME. There's fewer headwinds as we, you know, from previous years, so you even look back three, four, five years ago, there's fewer headwinds. There's more, a little bit more certainty and transparency. And we've actually had some, you know, good positive things impact the HME market during the past two years over COVID. So, so it's still in favor with both financial buyers and strategic buyers. Interesting. Is there a type of HME provider, Brad, that is more attractive or more often the acquisition target right now? 
uh, profitable ones. <laughs> <laughs> ones, ones that are doing well, that are growing, um, that are that are showing good solid bottom lines. Uh, it, it really is true. I, obviously, there's you know there's there's different product focus in different areas that, that different people are going to focus and gravitate towards. However, at the end of the day, if you really look at what investors are looking for when they do an acquisition, they're really looking for a return on their investment. And the easiest way to find that is through EBITDA, um, earnings before interest taxes, dividends, and appreciation. That is essentially the bottom line um, and what people are looking for every year for, for a return on their investment. And if you have an HME that's got, you know, good margins, that is healthy, that is growing, that's got all that, you know, the, the right things to it, People can be very interested in that, and that doesn't necessarily include uh, or just just include financial buyers. It, it, it also includes strategics as well. Uh, however, you know the difference being is a strategic will consider um, DVs that aren't healthy, that that maybe are losing money or that have debt. The problem is they they don't pay very well for those. So, and and and, and rightfully so because it requires requires some heavy lifting to get those to where they need to be. With regards to either who's doing the buying or what they are buying, do you see that changing anytime soon in the next quarter or so, or do you see that sort of um, staying the same? You know, I think strategics are still going to do their do what they're doing. That's part of their growth strategy. It's called the buy and build strategy. And so they're going to continue to buy smaller companies to gain market share, to gain geography, to, to to whatever they're looking at, and financial buyers are. That's I think that I think we'll see more and more of that market grow on the financial side, is because there's more and more liquidity in that financial market. If you look at right now, there's a little over two trillion dollars in the capital overhang, which is the money that private equity has raised is just sitting on the sidelines, and, and that's just a big. A big tr- and that's a big trend that's only growing. These alternative investment classes are just going to become larger and larger as you know, rich people and, 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 and funds look for avenues to invest outside public markets um, because of the volatility of the public markets. Brad, you mentioned earlier issues in Q1 that were affecting deal activity, inflation, labor, you know, increased costs. How about the how are the recall and supply issues for CPAPs affecting deal making in that product category? It's created some challenges uh, with with a lot of the with a lot of them because I mean, we've we've done this several times. You take someone to market and, and they sit there and say, "Okay, I would have done this much business, but I couldn't get my hands on on, mm. on, on CPAP units." And how do you allocate for that? And, and there's a way that we, we that we've been able to navigate around that and project and say, hey, if they had units, here's what it would have been, and here's this. And so we've been able to mitigate that to an extent, but ultimately it it it, it really does drag down valuations to to it, it, in particular if people are doing transactions on their own. I would say folks have been able to take advantage, buyers rather have been able to take advantage of that. Because it's the actual results of what's actually happened is, hey, you know, you you slid backwards in your numbers. You haven't been able to to convert as many or set as many folks up on CPAPs or deliver these, you know, resupply. So it, it has negatively impacted it, uh, it, but there are certain ways to actually mitigate it. 
But, you know, talking about the um, the valuations, uh, the impact of the recall and the supply CPAP issue, do you consider it sort of dragging on the valuations, or is it also somewhat of a, a right-sizing of valuations? Maybe they were a little inflated previously, and they're coming back into a more reasonable number. You're coming back down to earth? That's a really good yes. question. Yes. It, it really is because the market has been – it's been at a – really at a, at a, at a, at a overboil. So valuations have been really, really high, particularly like the, I, at the end of last year, I closed out. I, I sold the company where we had a 17 and a half times EBITDA multiple on it, which was insane. Never done anything that big before. Really exciting, but it was just way overcooked. And, and, and so we're seeing valuations creep down slightly. They're still very robust but they are starting to creep down. Not as bad in HME as in, say, other healthcare verticals, and that's just simply because HME had been really depressed for so long. Competitive bidding cast a really, really long shadow over the industry, and our valuations really haven't been where they should have been. And they, they actually, you know, since competitive bidding got lifted several years ago, it, it's gotten a lot better. They, they've got a little overcooked. Now they're coming really a little bit more back down in size. And so we're seeing a little bit more of that. And I expect that trend to continue, especially once again, as, in particular with inflation and as interest rates rise, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're getting loans and, and paying interest on those loans is, is now getting becoming more expensive. Granted, it's, keep in mind, it's still very low. And it's been and even at a you know prime right now plus two, it's still you know five six percent on a loan, which is still very very inexpensive for for interest rates. Great, Brad. So we started the, for our last question. We're going to look ahead. We started looking back a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, um, and you mentioned how Q1 was a little slower than you thought it would be. What do you expect deal activity to be? I guess. Q2, Q3, going into the end of, the, of this year, 2022? So Q2 is looking, at least for us, if, you know, if I look at it internally for what we have, Q2 is going to be a big quarter for us. We have uh, over a dozen deals that are closing. So we'll see a nice uptick personally in, in Q2. I think Q3 is traditionally a little bit slower simply because of summer vacations. So we'll, we will actually see we'll see probably a big June and normally we don't see a big June. Uh, August is going to be slow. July is going to be slow just because people are on, on vacation, taking holidays and actually getting out, which, which they deserve. But looking down the fairway, I think Q4 is going to be really big. We're, we're seeing a nice uptick with new clients coming on board. And I think overall the year as a whole, is going to be a very choppy year where we're going to see <laughs> not as much activity as, uh, uh, as, as last year's 2021, but we'll, I think we'll see a nice push towards the end for uh, a good amount of makeup of those deals. It's just these little pockets where it's like, oh my gosh, the world's coming to end. Oh, let's take it. We're going to be fine. Let's figure out now what to do with with, with our futures. So it's uh, uh, going to be, and I think it's going to be that way probably rolling into 23. Just a lot of volatility. These 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 things like inflation and, and job issues and, and, and all that are, are, are not going to go away overnight. They're going to take time, and it's going to lead to a volatile, choppy market for the uh, very near um, for the next couple of years, unfortunately. Makes sense, Brad. Well, thank great insight. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. And that's HME News in 10.